Welcome back, everybody. Episode number 28 of the Roses of Rhetoric podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Hackett. Putting me, as always, my charming co-host. Joseph Stanford. As you can tell, Joe is doing a bit of uh, infield research for the uh, softball GM position. Joe, tell us a little bit about where you're at right now and what you're doing there. Yeah, it's a, a beautiful day here in Portland, Oregon at Wallace Park. Um, as you can see behind me, well, as you can see, I'm sitting in left field of a, uh, a little league uh, baseball game right now featuring the Brittonville uh, Dynamite playing in gray. And they're going to get up against the Ainsworth Weed Whackers mm. uh, repping the white jersey. Mm. So I'm out, I'm out here scouting out some talent. You know, we have that intramural softball league that we've been looking for a GM, um, maybe even some players. So uh, I, we got the camera focused on them back there. I say first one to hit me with a fly ball. I think we got to sign them up. What do you I think, think Jim? So, I think so, too. Uh, you know, having a player that can crush the ball out to left field is an invaluable skill, as we learned from uh, Brian Anderson on our previous GM interview position. Uh, mm -hmm. Left field generally is a position where uh, you might put your weaker players, and if you have a batter that's able to get the ball over that side of the field, it can make a big difference, whether that be a left-handed hitter, a switch hitter, or somebody who even batting right-handed can still crush the ball over to that side of the field. These are some good play. Joe, who are the uh, who are the big playmakers right now out on the field? Have you noticed any talent so far? You know, I think the coaches are the real big playmakers right yeah. now. We got some some good characters, some good uh, some good beer guts, and uh, classic Nike tennis shoes on the on the field. You know, I've always have said beer is the water of intramural softball, and I think you would agree with me on that. You got to stay hydrated. Absolutely, you got to stay hydrated, and you gotta, you need to really have the right mindset for intramural softball if you take it too seriously you might overlook the simple plays um in my experience in softball especially in the intramural league is about having the right state of mind mm -hmm. yeah. and as a uh, as brian noted also you need to have plenty of sunscreen plenty of sunscreen plenty of sunscreen I am looking forward to this. I, I, it looks, you know, we're seeing a lot of good action behind you right now in the, in the field. It looks like a beautiful day out in uh, sunny Portland, Oregon. Uh, this is one of the few days of sunshine the city will have all year, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> it is. So you, you got to soak it up when you can, yeah. even if that means sitting in left field of a live baseball game. Well, it's, it's the best seat in the house. And uh, I think <laughs> you're, you're, you're really lucky to be there. And this looks like a lot of fun. And you're shooting on your iPhone. You're probably running about 30, 35% battery right now. Oh, if that, dude. If, yeah, that's being generous. <laughs> Everybody knows that you get your optimum iPhone battery when you're streaming on Zoom uh, outside on your network rather than through Wi-Fi. So, uh, yeah, we'll be Chris yeah, yeah. during this episode real quick. Well, actually, that's a good point. Maybe I should turn on my screen brightness a little bit. You know, I'm getting a lot of glare from the sun. Yeah. Uh, my uh, my wife showed me a new feature on the iPhone. New feature meaning that we learned about it. It may have been a feature the whole time, but a feature where you can make your screen black and white in an effort to make your screen less interesting, which will help you spend less time on your phone. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Uh, no, is is that really what it's for? I. She, that's what she was telling me and i what, what was funny is so she did this on about on a monday and by wednesday she was back to full color so i mean it really it must have really been dull uh because she went back to the normal setting but um yes no i, I you know I, I i'm always impressed by the iphone camera quality you know because uh iphone you can see on the bottom of the screen but coming through crystal clear from the sunny, sunny Portland, Oregon. Um, as always, Joe, we begin by getting a roundup of the week. Any big updates, any big things in the inbox? What's going on in the world of Coastal Stanford? Mm, so I can't talk about them yet, but there are some some big, big updates coming from Joe's inbox. So I would stay tuned for those over the next couple of weeks. <laughs> you hear that, folks? You got to keep on coming back for Joe's inbox. Only going to get bigger and better. <laughs> I, I will I will start to show off plugging a little bit our episode next week. We are meeting with a neuroscience researcher going back to San Francisco to uh, meet up with research group over there, um, doing some doing some interesting neuroscience research. If that kind of topic interests you, 
If you enjoyed the interview with Francisco uh, three weeks ago, be sure to check out this one. It'll be uh, with another lab mate um, out there doing some good research. And we'll be talking to him about the research itself and also getting into a little bit of the theory of science and the theory of neuroscience. Um, as I mentioned last week, kind of our goal, our goal is to build uh, segments of the show and we're kind of slowly building towards this neuroscience segment. So we'll have a few more after this person as well, uh, but be, be sure to check in next week for that one as well. Yeah. And, and to add to that, um, I know a lot of our listeners may be intimidated by neuroscience or topics like that, but um, I think Jim, you and I are aligned on this, that we want to be able to present this information and to interview these scientists and their in a way that's digestible by the masses, we're, we're going to take a, a conscious effort to make it make it a, a little easier on the ears to listen to and keep it yes. interesting. I think that's both, I'm excited about our guests, though. I think yeah. that it's going to be a great content. This this lab, and I I, I don't I, I forget the name of the lab itself, but I mean th this lab is uh, really at the cutting edge of this research. As as are the people in the lab, they're there on the cutting edge as well, and. One of the things that Joe and I purposefully do is we, we try to minimize our contact with our guests prior to them coming on the show. And one reason we do that is because the more that Joe and I interact with the guests before the show, we're able to do a learning off air that we then bring onto the show. And in a sense, we separate ourselves from the audience. And so one of the things that we try to do is we, we try to keep ourselves as close to the audience as possible so that when one of these uh, researchers or one of these specialists explains something to us, if we don't understand it, the audience probably doesn't either. And that gives us a chance to align with the audience and to ask questions that we think the audience is probably thinking to themselves before the show begins or, or during the interview. So that's one thing that Joe and I do try to be conscious of. I mean, uh, of course, we do plenty of background work in terms of reading and that kind of thing. But we do try to minimize some of the specific contacts we have with the guests in order to keep ourselves more in the camp of audience rather than, you know, interviewer who has done a bunch of background research that as a result leads to a conversation that's impossible for somebody on the, on the outside to listen in on. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very excited for this next episode. It's going to be great. I mean, I'm excited for this episode. I'm all right in this episode. I'm kind of, you know, not. <laughs> no, I, I am too. We have a lot of good topics today. I wanted to start with uh, Joe. You and I have both lived in our fair share of apartments. And I wanted to start by giving my take on what I think is largely the bullshit enterprise of apartment amenities. These are things that apartment complexes advertise to potential renters. And in my experience, they rarely pan out. Um, COVID, the past year has been a year. A lot of people are moving, uh, potentially. I know a lot of people are buying homes. Potentially, a lot of people also will be moving into apartments. But I wanted to give our audience kind of a rundown of things that really matter when you're renting at an apartment and things that really don't matter, but that they'll probably try and sell you on anyways. And one of the first things that I wanted to mention that I think is largely a bullshit amenity is the, uh, you know, quote unquote conference room that some of these apartment mm. complexes have. <laughs> let me, let me tell you something. The only thing that you really want to have access to in a conference room is a printer. That is it. Yep, that yep. is all you <laughs> ever fucking need. Anything else is all bullshit. It doesn't matter. They have a bunch of tables and a bunch of computers set up. You're never going to fucking use them. Don't be impressed by it. And first of all, even if you want to use them, usually logging on will be a huge pain in the ass. It'll be, you're just going to leave your files on there and going to get it, your identity stolen by some goober gobber living in your apartment complex. Don't do it. When you're looking at the printer, you want the printer to have two things. One, or really, let me say three things. The first is you want them to supply the paper. That's the first thing you want. The second thing you want is you want the printer to be able to print off of a USB stick. And number three, you want to print in color. If it has yep. those three things, no other thing in that conference room matters at all. It doesn't matter. You just need the printer. Now, Joe, do you, do you agree with that first assessment on, on the conference room? Well, yeah, absolutely. Especially when you're living in like a small apartment or something and you don't have the, the real estate for an actual printer. Actually, I don't even know if anyone in my family has a printer these days just because everyone's moving away from paperless. I, I will add, though, 
another benefit of the conference room that I had stumbled upon in my last apartment. And that was when I first moved in and I wasn't planning on this. This just sort of happened this way, but I got in and then I got, you know, I got all the, the utilities turned on the gas, the electricity, and I sat down and I was about to set up my Wi-Fi, but you know, I was like, maybe I should check. Maybe I should check to see if there's any networks that I can use save myself 80 bucks a month or whatever outrageous cost Comcast charges you. And uh, sure enough, my apartment was backed right up onto a conference room. The conference room has the printer as it does the free Wi-Fi. And uh, for my entire tenure at that apartment, I never had to spend money on Wi-Fi. So that would be uh, another amenity that I would keep an eye out for. I, I agree. And, and, and let's broaden that to, uh, Access to Wi-Fi in the conference room or also sometimes if your apartment has a gym, we'll have the Wi-Fi network in the gym as well. Uh, another good amenity to have. But that brings me to the next one, which is the gym. Now, I understand that an apartment gym can come in, come in handy in a bind or in a pinch. I have never seen an apartment gym that really is all that useful outside of the, you know, few times where you really just cannot make it to an actual gym. I've, every, every complex I've been to, they've showed us the gym. They tell us how great it is. It's never great. It's, it's, it's just never is. It's the same bullshit machines, a few treadmills. I mean, if that's all you're doing, that's fine. But again, it's a thing where when you're on the, when you're on the tour, it probably doesn't make that much of a difference to the apartment experience. Well, not all of us can lift the big weights like you can, Jim. <laughs> We're going to get to the big weights in a moment. Because it really, <laughs> what, I, what, I, what I want to get to with this apartment thing is this. I think ultimately what you want in an apartment complex, and I, I, I was realizing this as we were moving into our most recent apartment last year. And basically, when you're on these apartment tours, everything that the salesperson tells you is going to be a lie. So you can't listen to it anyways. But we were walking by and I'm thinking, all right, is the uh, is the complex quiet? Oh, it's very quiet. Uh, really? Because there's a highway right there. How quiet can it really be? Is it safe? Oh, it's very safe. Well, well that person over there is applying the five-second rule to a used needle. How safe can this place be? I mean, you go on these tours, it's like you're, you know, they're just talking to you like you're in the bizarre world. So the things to pay attention to, one, safe location, two, quiet complex, quiet unit, and three, you want the gate to open and close easily. You want the gate to be functioning. You want the clicker they give you to work all the time. These, these little things make a big difference. And the third thing you want to pay attention, or the, the fourth thing to pay attention to is parking. Because nobody wants to come home to their apartment late at night and not be able to find a parking space. But if you have those four things covered, I'm telling you, that's really all that you need. Everything else is, is going to be some kind of uh, uh, amenity you're probably not going to get that much use out of. So don't pay attention to it. Focus on those, on, on those four big things and uh, you will be in, in good shape. So, Joe, I, like, like I said, I, I want to make sure our, our listeners know the uh, I, I think that these, these apartments, you know, they try and throw a lot of flash your way, but it ends up not amounting to a whole lot at the end. Yeah, I think that's good advice. Uh, don't don't get caught up on having worrying about a dishwasher in your apartment or a washer dryer unit. Those things really uh, fail in comparison to, like you said, the color printer. Yes, the color printer for sure. And uh, printing in color is a great experience for anybody that's ever. If you've never printed in color before, try it out. <laughs> <laughs> all right very good very good all right so, well so that brings us to i have a story for this week uh it's catching off of our story off of francisco three weeks ago anybody who heard that episode knows that uh, a day or two days before we shot that episode um i got my first covid shot and essentially didn't really have any uh symptoms maybe a little bit of a headache you know but nothing really that that big I got my second COVID shot on Thursday, Thursday night mm. at around 5 or 6 p.m. 
when you get it, they make you wait 15 minutes to make sure that you don't have any kind of serious allergic reaction. I did not. I felt fine after I got it. Um, I, I will tell you the, the hardest part of that whole experience was trying to uh, keep preoccupied in a CVS for 15 minutes. I mean, there's, there's nothing really to look at in a, in a CVS. I was kind of like wandering around. And I realized I had spent like 10 yeah. minutes in like the feminine hygiene section. And everyone's like looking at like I'm some kind of creep. And I'm like, I got to get out of here. So, but besides that little brush of awkwardness, I, I really, I felt fine. Got home around seven or something like that. Whole, whole night pretty much felt, felt good. And around midnight, my arm started to hurt, you know, and uh, I got a headache and I couldn't, I couldn't sleep. I woke up the next morning. I like wake up. I kind of like just got up because I couldn't really fall asleep the whole night. And uh, I will tell you, I, uh, I had like a horse kicked me in the head. I mean, it was a terrible <laughs> for like the whole day. I mean, it was, it was, and I had the, I had the uh, chills and I had the, uh, the, the achiness and all, all the things that, that, that they tell you about. And the, the, the nurse that was actually really funny because she was like, well, how did you do the first time? And I, with the, with the symptoms, I, oh, I didn't have anything. I felt great. She's like, yeah, the second time, much more common to experience symptoms. And I was like, I think I'll be okay. I was uh, incorrect. It was, uh, it was a brutal brutal night, brutal day, probably didn't feel better until around seven or 8 PM the next day. Um, mm. but, uh, I wanted to get that out there, you know, keep our, uh, our skin in the game, our, our, our transparency. You know, I did get the, I did get the first shot, gave an, gave an update on that one, wanted to give an update on the second shot as well. Uh, but I'm, I'm back to, uh, back to my charming self as everybody can see. Um, so all in all, not too bad, but it was a rough, it was a rough day. So anybody getting their second Pfizer shot, prepare, prepare for a, a rough day. If uh, not the first day or not the first dose, the second dose, uh, it, it, you, you get better, but it's, it's a rough day. I'm going to be honest. It was a rough day. You know, I just saw a headline today, actually, that, uh, for the Pfizer shot specifically there, it's likely there's going to be a third shot required towards the end of the year. So, uh, get ready for that. Huh? Yeah, hopefully the uh, it'll be interesting to to, to see how the uh, side effects compare dose to dose. Because, like I said, the the first one, I really didn't feel much of anything. Um, so all good fun, all good fun out in uh, Pfizer land. But uh, and for anybody wondering, no, Pfizer is not a paid sponsor of the show. Although, uh, <laughs> if they wanted to be, we would sell out like that so Pfizer give us a call if you're looking yeah we, we would change our review of the shot uh, yeah oh just I, like I, that I felt if, better uh, I felt good headache I, I got a great tonight you boys for crying out I got <laughs> slept like a baby slept like a bell oh, put, put, put me right to sleep I fell asleep right in the CVS chair I wanted to wake me up <laughs> uh, I was uh yeah they, they gave me like a 20 20 percent off you know, coupon at CVS. I was walking around and I, you know, I, not that I really wanted, so I kind of, I, I didn't buy anything, but. Nothing in the feminine hygiene section that caught your eye? No, no, nothing in that section. And I was looking, you know, I, I, I try to like eat pretty healthy during the week. On the weekends, I do a little, uh, I usually do a little, uh, a little cheat mealing, but I thought, you know, if I buy it on Thursday, I don't know if I trust myself to not eat it tonight. So I thought I just better get out of there back to my to my humble abode and uh prepare for the evening ahead but um really my my plan was i'll get the shot and then i'll I'll sleep through the night while when it hurts turns out that was a horrible idea because i just (laughs) (laughs) yeah well uh, lots of fun lots of fun everybody but yeah jimmy's 5 5g capable now I'm 5G capable. Uh, I, I get good reception. And uh, yeah, if, if uh, Pfizer hears this episode, give me a call. I'm always happy to be a celebrity spokesperson for, for the farm industry. <laughs> Let me know. Very good. Very good, Joe. Let's see what we have on here. You want to do our shout outs? You want to do our, our, our let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Let's, let's start with our, with our first shout out. This one goes out to a fan of the show, Alec Mezonic. And yes. He's been a fan of the show since the beginning. You probably, if you have followed the show on Instagram, you've seen him on Instagram. He's given us a couple of segment ideas for the show. Uh, most recently, it was his idea to do a little tribute to DMX, uh, who passed away recently. Um, so, so Alex, thank you for the content and thank you for following the show. We really appreciate it. 
The second shout out this week goes to a person by the name of Grant Brogy. Grant Brogy uh, runs a gym called The Strength Company out in Costa Mesa, California. He is kind of part of the uh, starting strength community that you and I have talked about before. That's the Mark Ripito program, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And the reason that Grant Brogy was on my, on my list for this week is because, and Joe, I think I sent you this uh, story, but uh, he's been running a gym out in California now for, uh, I guess, a number of years. I don't really know for how long. And when uh, the COVID lockdowns began in California, um, running a gym, obviously, that's one of the businesses that's going to be hit hard during a lockdown because it involves doing things uh, in person, of course. And so he did developed a rather ingenious idea he did it it was basically from what i understand it was like a two-step program the first thing he did is he brought the equipment in his gym to the members homes so he essentially emptied out his 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 gym and gave it to members of the gym so they could work out at their homes so he kind of like gave these people you know garage gyms that was the first step. Obviously, you're not going to be able to give everybody everything, but you divvy it up as best you can. And yeah. How, how, do, how does that work? Like, you can only have so many squat racks, right? Yeah. So this is the second part. So he did that. That was phase one. But then after that, he and a few of his friends figured out a way to cheaply produce squat racks using things like plywood, cement, uh, okay. steel, and they began making these kind of makeshift squat racks at the gym. So he literally converted what was a what was first a a a, a strength training gym. COVID happened. He pivoted real quickly, and now he's making he's making weight. He's 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 making uh, lifting equipment. Now it's I like incredible. that. It, it's awesome. It's the. <clears throat> I mean that to me. Uh, it's a self-starter, obviously. That goes without saying. But I, I just like the, the ingenuity of it, that they purposefully try to figure out how what is the cheapest, quickest way that we can make squat racks to get to people so they can lift weights. And, uh, you know, it was a, the perfect example of just having a, a solid can-do attitude. He got some friends together. He hired people in the local area that had been laid off from their jobs, hired them to, to make this equipment for him and to sell it to other people. And... Uh, just a, just a great story. Just a great story of uh, somebody combining a little bit of ingenuity, a little bit of hard work, and within a pretty short period of time, completely transformed their business uh, to be doing this. Now, I, from what I gather, I think that his gym has has since reopened. Uh, so I'm not sure if they're if they're still making the racks or not. I'm not sure, but um, I thought that was just a great story that they that he kind of came up with that idea and put it into practice. And um, the other thing he did is he began going to other gyms in the area and got their equipment to bring to people's homes as well. But um, really just somebody demonstrating a, a solid commitment to their work and a solid commitment to what they stand for, which in this case would be weight training and figuring out a way mm -hmm. to give people access to that, to that uh, part of their life, uh, even when times, you know, prevented the, the normal operations from occurring. So you know, ingenuity, hard work, determination, clear vision, all those things, you know, coming into, into practice. Grant Brogy, uh, God bless you. It was a hell of a story. I really enjoyed it. We're going to give you a shout out on the episode. We'll put your, your Twitter and all that other stuff in our uh, below the video. Uh, follow him. Check him out. He's always posting stuff on his Twitter, by the way, of uh, people at his gym that are doing things like PRs and, and getting good lifts in. And uh, so it's, it's a fun uh, account to follow for that reason as well. But also just because of this story and this uh, can-do attitude that uh, I think is just a, a good story to, to know and to share and to read about. Yeah, yeah. You love to hear selfless acts like that. Because um, if you think about it, if you're enabling and teaching people to make their own gym equipment, that's kind of a bad business model for your gym. You know what I mean? You're kind well, of replacing like, yourself amongst these people. So, so, so he's still making it. He, he's making it and then selling it to people. But it was like, yeah, but then the, these people now have the equipment at their houses. Yeah. They, they no longer have a need to come to the gym. And that just shows a Grant's dedication to, to, the, to fitness, to the health and well-being of the people around him. And uh, I think that's something that you only see at these local gyms. You're not going to see that at your, your big 
big box, uh, 24 hour fitness or LA fitness or whatnot. Um, and that's part of the reason I liked, I like the, uh, starting strength program because it's, yeah. uh, it's a program for the people. It's a program for the people. I like, you know, LA fitness, you know, they wanted, I remember one time I tried to get the, the person at the front desk. I was talking to them and I was like, you know, the only thing that your gym doesn't have, now I, I'm going to say this and I'm going to get some flag from the starting strength community because they actually don't like the thing that I'm about to say. So let me preface by saying, I, I don't use this equipment, but I, I almost did for a little bit. Let me kind of preface this by saying that. Um, and it was the, uh, the uh, hex bar, which is the one you stand inside of. So, so Mark Ribiteau does not like the hex bar. I don't want to get into the reasons why. Just suffice to say, Mark, if by some bizarro thing you listen to this, I, I use the straight bar when I deadlift, so don't worry about it. But in any event, I talked to the person at LA Fitness, and I was like, hey, can I bring in a, a hex bar if I were to buy it? Like, I'll bring it in. I just, can I use it here? And the guy was like, uh, no. And I was like, I'm going to bring it in. And it was just, yeah. a, 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 just a good example of, uh, as, as as Grant Brogy commented on one of our things one time, you got to find a local establishment, and uh, I think he is correct. You know, I yeah, Jim, that's a that's a good the hex bar story is a good example of why it's better to ask for forgiveness rather than permission. Yes. I think that, and that's actually what happened at my local LA Fitness was uh, there was a hex bar there for a long time, and uh, I love the hex bar. I, I would use it all the time. Um, although the worst lifting injury I've ever gotten in my life, maybe the worst injury in my life was, uh, was, uh, occurred while using a hex bar, but we can get into that at a later point. <laughs> that might just be user error rather than the bar itself. Um, but yeah. And then one day it was just gone and I asked and I was like, yo, like what happened to the hex bar? Where did it go? And, uh, their response was like, oh, someone just brought it in. Like that wasn't like, uh, LA fitness sanctioned equipment. So, uh, it had to go. And, uh, and yeah, I, I don't understand. Why would they not? Why would they not have the, the hex bar at LA Fitness? Yeah. Like, why would they not purchase one? And then, well, why would they not this? use How is, the one that was there? Let's let's think about things they do have at LA Fitness. The little balancing ball things. Well, you tell me, how is that any safer than a hex bar? <laughs> you're literally saying this is meant to be wobbly. I mean, you're gonna get hurt on it. How is that okay? <laughs> but I can't use a hex bar. I mean, are you kidding me? Um, yeah yeah it's um fun times at la fitness and remember you got to cancel either through snail mail or in, in person i think or maybe not even that's a pain in the ass um but yeah great great bro shout out to him a uh, great story uh, again if you happen to be in the california area check him out hey california if you had to be in the uh, in the costa mesa area of california check him out the uh, gym is called The Strength Company. And uh, if you're looking to buy some equipment, maybe buy from him if he's still selling it. Um, yes, very good. I, I like that story quite a bit. And uh, one of our episodic things, we'll, we'll, we'll probably do one on weightlifting. I got to get back to the gym. I, my, my plan is, you know, that I got my vaccine in a couple of weeks, hopefully, hopefully getting back into the group of things. And um, we'll do a, a, a segment on weightlifting on that as well. But for today, Joe, I think it's time that we move on to our album of the week. Now, for everybody who is wondering, normally Joe reads albums of the week. How is Joe going to read the album of the week if he is filming on his phone? He can't look at the email on his phone when he's on his phone. And so what we're going to do is because Joe didn't use the print right apartment complex to print out a copy of the <laughs> review from our correspondent. We are going to share it on my phone with Joe reading it. And we're going to be very careful to not give away the identity of our correspondent. And I'm mm -hmm. going to be very careful here. All right, Joe, ready when you are. Yeah. And again, like that, here at Roses and Rhetoric, we're all about solving problems and yes. A-B testing. So this is, this is another way. And you know what? The, the listener or the viewer can now read along with me as I as I stumble yes. through the review. Imagine a little ball bouncing along the syllables as Joe reads <laughs> this, this thing. All right, Joe, when you're ready, our album of the week. Okay. The album of the week is Silent Hour slash Golden Hour. And it's by Daniel Rosen. 
tell the audience around me is very excited for this uh, review. Okay, so the notes. The guitar is crazy, feels lonely, but hopeful. <laughs> uh, the horns are kind of triumphant. There is still a tinge of sadness, although it sometimes feels warm. There is bliss in the mess. There is madness all around. It just feels like it accepts all the bullshit and still trudges on with grace. So if we move down, we go to the review. <laughs> so throughout Silent House slash Golden Mile, Daniel Rosen displays his virtuous virtuosity on the guitar. In fact, it is almost hard to believe that one man could create so much sound simply using a guitar. Rosen creates such lush and verdant sounding landscapes. The sound is so grand, yet at times it feels so lonely. It is similar to the feeling of walking in pure nature. When you realize how vast the world can be and how small your role truly is. It is a bath of sense of freedom and terror with the slightest tinge of somber acceptance. The track Golden Mile captures this feeling best with the lyrics, this is bliss in this mess. There is no madness all around. I'd recommend listening whenever you have a break as an EP silent hour slash golden mile is a quick and refreshing listen. So again, another amazing review from our, from our uh, chief musical correspondent. I and, really enjoyed uh, I, this. I, yeah, I totally enjoyed it as well. Yeah. And uh, like always, I love the, uh, the, the, the tasting notes or the pairing. Or, and uh, it is, it's a, it's a short album. It's, a, it's something good to throw on when you just need a little quick break. You're not looking for a full album endeavor. Um, yeah, no, I can't recommend this one enough. I think there's another solid choice. I love this guitar style um, that you hear in this album. Um, it's it's the kind of guitar where you know I don't really know how to, it. It almost sounds like a banjo, I guess, in, in the sense that it's. Uh, I I believe that the the fingers rather than doing this with a guitar, <laughs> this is all technical, of course, are, are is like kind of strumming with all the fingers or something like that. It, but that that's the the way that it sounds. It, it, it sounds like that. Um, as you can tell. I am not the official R&R correspondent for music because I don't know what I'm talking about. But it was a really good album. I really enjoyed it. And uh, Daniel uh, Rosen, I thought, did a fantastic job. I, I listened to this album uh, on Friday, actually, uh, during work. Pulled it up on YouTube. We, we again, we, we, do try, we, we try to find songs that people can listen to for free on YouTube uh, with the hope that you will listen to it there and then potentially go and buy it. And uh, this one was really a lot of fun, uh, fun album, not too long. And I, I enjoyed the song Golden Mile, Silent Hour. That was a good song. Um, but all, all the songs on there were really great. And uh, yeah, check it out. We, again, we'll put it all on our, on our Twitter and our Instagram, but check them out. Daniel Rosen, Golden Mile, Silent Hour. Um, I, so, you know, normally we, we, on, this, on these shows, Joe, we do, you know, we have some fun topics and maybe we give one or two serious topics. I, I, I did have, not serious, but in a little more complicated, if you will, than um, uh, how to find a good apartment complex. Before I get into it, I wanted to see if you had anything from your week that you wanted to share uh, on this episode. Uh, let me let me think about it. Let's jump into the next topic and come back to me on that. <laughs> Very good. Well, today's topic, today's food for thought, uh, is from what I gather, kind of a controversial one. Um, but should, it's still fun to think about either way, and it is this notion of computational irreducibility. To give an idea of computational irreducibility. Think of it, and so let me actually let me give the, the background of where this idea comes from. So, for anybody who's done math in high school or math in college, and in particular math homework in high school or math homework in college, will all be familiar with Wolfram Alpha. This is the program that you use to do your homework for you. And when Joe and I were in college, you could actually use almost the entirety of Wolfram Alpha completely for free. I think nowadays it's a little more 
difficult to use. I think that the information that you get for free from going to wolframalpha.com, I think that sometimes they, they, they hide the solution. I think you might have to pay for that. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but regardless, Joe and I, I think owe 50 to 60% of our degree to the integration functions. Oh, at, least. at least, at least anyone who has been through vector calculus will know that, and really I would even say second semester calculus where you do a lot of integrals uh, is very familiar with Wolfram Alpha and with using it to do those for you. Um, it's out of a program, it's out of a software package. The inventor is, his name is Stephen Wolfram who also made Mathematica, which is like a, a more fleshed out actual programming language. Uh, Wolfram is like an app, essentially. Well, that's probably not quite right, but whatever. He's not going to hear this anyways. But it's a website. Yeah. Mathematica is, is, a, is a programming language like Python or Java or whatever else is out there. And Stephen Wolfram, a few, actually probably 20 years ago or something like that, came out with a book called A New Science or The New Science. And one of, the, one of the key things in this book was his belief in this, and I shouldn't, belief probably isn't the right word, but his idea, let's say, of computational irreducibility. And so what Stephen Wolfram did is he wrote a few lines of very simple computer code that would generate random displays of, of pixels on the screen, basically. You know, he calls these things cellular automata, but if you were to look at a screen, what it would basically look like is imagine you have like a like a checkered board, but the black and white squares are essentially appearing in random order. And so what Stephen Wolfram did is he came up with a bunch of different what he called rules. And these rules would specify how these cells would would change their color as you move down the different rows. And what what Wolfram found is that for certain programs that he came up with, there was no way to predict, say, the 10th row without going through and calculating the appearance or the pattern of the first nine. And so there's no equation you could type into that would tell you, oh, on row 10 is going to be black, black, white, black, white, black. You had to figure out, and, and the way, that the, the way that, that the rules work is that each preceding row impacts the row below it. And so whatever the row above it is. Wait, did did you say the rows were random or the rows are not random? Not, not random. That, that's not the right word. It's um, the, the rules that you specify at the beginning, essentially look at, at the row, at the row that you're on and then use that row as input to generate the row below it. So the word random was wrong. What I, what I meant to say is that there's no way to figure out what the 10th row will look like without calculating the ninth row and before that the eighth, so on and so forth. And so basically okay. you had to go through every row to get to row 10. And the notion of computational irreducibility would be to look at a situation that would be computationally reducible, which would mean something like this. In a, in a computationally reducible problem, you'd be able to look at the first row and predict what the, and not predict, but calculate what the 10th row would be without having to go through the intermediate steps. And so this notion of computational irreducibility is really that idea. That there, the idea is that there are problems where in order to know what the next step will be, or in order to know what the, what the 10th or 11th step will be, you have to calculate each preceding step. You, you can't skip ahead to the other, to okay. the other step. So let me kind of lay that out there. Again, I used the wrong, I used the word random earlier. That was the wrong word to use. I, well, I yeah, yeah. So this, yeah, that's a, I think that's a good uh, conceptual explanation of it. Can you uh, bring it down to like what the, the applications of this yes. would be for like the average person? Yes. So let's start with, with a, a situation where you are, you can reduce things comp computationally. And so th this whole thing came about by basically, you know, Stephen Wolfram talking about how in physics, what we do is we figure out an equation and that equation allows you to predict the phenomena of, you know, any future event without having to calculate each intermittent step. So an example of this would be something like, if I have a ball in my hand and I throw it, 
I throw the ball in the air, I can calculate where that ball will land, say a hundred feet away from me or something like that, without having to, to model every foot that the ball traveled. I could just look at the input velocity, the, the, the angle that I throw it at, you know, if you want to be detailed, figure out wind resistance or in the great tradition of physics, you can just ignore wind resistance either way. But essentially with the, with the input specified, I can calculate where the ball will land without having to provide a detailed trajectory of where the ball will go. Imagine a world where in order to know where the ball will land, I have to figure out each step the ball takes to get there. I would hate such a world. That would be difficult, right? <laughs> um, unfortunately, and here's the kicker, functionally, a lot of things in life are irreducible in the sense that it's really hard to predict where you will be in 10 years. And then, in fact, we don't really have that it's impossible. It's impossible. We don't really have that capacity uh, to do that. And as a result, our day-to-day -day experience, really, for the most part, is that we live in a world that functionally, if you will, is computationally irreducible. We cannot predict with certainty where we will end up on day 99 without knowing where we are on day 98, day 97, 96, all the way back to day one. And this of course ties in, and I, of course, Taleb talks about this in Black Swan, but this also ties in with the notion of a Black Swan because what a black swan event is, is an event that is rare, but has dramatic uh, effect. And so if, if you're thinking, why is your life computationally irreducible? It's because not only do you lack sufficient knowledge of your quote unquote input conditions to specify the outcome, but you also have no way of knowing when a black swan will arise. You have no way of knowing when some unforeseen event will occur that will just completely nullify your predictions. Anybody who wants an example of this, just think of all the vacations that were planned six months before the COVID lockdowns began. And all those vacation plans were ruined. Nobody would have predicted that. Nobody would have thought that was gonna be an issue. <clears throat> if you would have bought a plane ticket a year in advance thinking, you know what, I'll know where I'll be in a year from now because my life is predictable and on, and on these rails and I'm gonna be fine, you would have completely missed yep. it. And so there's, there's this notion that uh, basically life is this way um, and we have very little predictive power. And as a result, we really have, we are in a sense, we are forced to live our day, our lives one day at a time. We can do some planning, but plan broadly because any specific plan is not likely to, to work out very well in the end. But this, this notion of irreducibility is one that, um, I think it's an idea that's fairly abstract, but I think is an interesting way to view the world because, and this gets brought up by, by Taleb and other people as well. Would you really want your life to be such that you could predict what it would be like 20 years in the future down to the day? I mean, wouldn't that be kind of a pointless life in some sense? If you just knew what you'd be doing in 20 years, if you just knew what it would be like, there'd be no excitement, there'd be no adventure, there'd be no spontaneity. I think that would be kind of boring actually. Right, right. And uh, I think that's a, uh, you, you hear the, the, the phrase that the past events do not represent the future trajectories, right? So, and that's just, I think this is like a testimony to that, is that what's happened in the past, like, is not going to determine, just because we're on a certain trend line right now for anything, whether that's a, it could be like a stock, it could be like your career, relationships, whatever. Um yeah, like you said, the black swan event could come through, like something big could happen at the flip of the switch. COVID could happen and it could totally derail any idea you had of what the future would look like. So I, I think there's something beautiful in that, in the sense that it does create that spontaneity and it does, uh, it keeps things interesting. Like, like you said, like uh, if you knew what was going to happen, there'd be like no point in in, in experiencing it because you already know what's going to happen. Like, oh, yeah. There's no surprises. There's no challenges. It would be mundane. I, I, there, there's a great quote from Taleb where he says something to the, to the effect of, if I know with certainty what my day will, will be like tomorrow, I'm already a little bit dead. And uh, yeah. I, I think that there's, there, there's, I, I like, I like that. Um, you know, life is dynamism. Life is change. Life is, I, you know, to, to, to quote, 
uh, <laughs> to quote Brad Pitt's character in World War Z, you know, that cinema treasure, uh, you know, movement is life. And um, in, in life, life is unpredictable. You know, life is a, is, is a, is a, is a maintained unequilibrium with the environment. That's one of the characteristics of life, you know, and um, as a result, it's hard to predict because we're always responding to things and changing to things in, in unique ways. And if this really drives home the point we made last week about optionality, because if you have options, then you can respond to events as they occur, rather than having to predict which events will occur in order to satisfy your predictions. Um, so another tie-in to, to last week as well with 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 sock panga, of course, another idea from from Taleb. But you know, I. I I like these ideas that are a little out of the box, this idea of computational irreducibility. And again, like I said at the beginning, it's, it's controversial. You know, physicists kind of argue with, with, with Wolfram about if it's, if it's real or not and all these debates going back and forth. And I, well, I don't fucking know, but it's just, it's just fun to think about. It's fun to kind of explore these ideas because um, I, uh, I think that these ideas are actually accessible to a lot of people and are fun to think about and are, it's, it's fun to think about this idea of because you can't predict the future you have no choice but to live in the present well i mean where, where, where have we heard that before i mean that all philosophy of all time has been about that right so you there is a sense in which ideas that are true or that are useful kind of all collide with each other and you find a bunch of different people saying kind of the same thing and uh, this is one of those ideas that I think you hear people saying differently, but ultimately kind of living on this idea of living in the, and living in the moment, if you will, in a sense, you don't have a choice. Right. And that's kind of the, that, that's, that's kind of the uh, punchline, if you will, of like, you know, who Eckhart Tolle, right. It's like you live in the yeah. moment because you have to, you know, you don't have a choice. And uh, I like this add in with Wolfram and irreducibility is that even if you didn't want to, you want to be able to predict the future anyway. So you really don't have a choice, but to live in the present. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting to think about, like, with uh, a lot of people uh, believe that you can predict the future, provided that you had a, a computational machine strong enough to predict it. And that operates off the, the principle that this is all just one uninterrupted collision of particles that has uh, determined everything, you know? So like when the big bang happened or whatever, uh, physics was set in such a way that it is possible if you had enough knowledge, if you had enough computational power to map out every, every particle collision, every hydrogen atom that bumps into another hydrogen atom and makes a helium atom or whatever. And if you had a computer strong enough to predict that, then you could in theory predict the future, but uh, humans just don't have access to that, or at least not yet. Yeah, well, and plus, I mean, we get the level of the atom, then you have to take into effect quantum mechanics, which at a fundamental sure. level is uncertain. And so even which with we the don't most even powerful understand. computer, yeah, with the most, most most powerful computer, you'd still, would there be a limit to the, uh, the probabilistic outcome of events? And yeah. So even, even with all the knowledge of the universe, you would, there would still be uh, uh, outcomes that wouldn't be resolved in, until the measurement was made and or until the event occurred and so yeah like look at look at like fluid mechanics or like even the weather which is just a big fluid mechanics problem and and how good we are at predicting the weather out you know even like a day or two days from now or even a week from now like it's just there's too many variables and our, our computers aren't, aren't good enough or our ability to measure whatnot is just it's just simply not good enough to measure something like that so that just shows how far away we are from yeah, I any, think our weather accurate means, form of prediction. You know, even if weather were a perfectly classical system just from the fluid mechanics, it you know, you would just need so much. Like, I think he gives an, an example in here. I forget I'm reading the I'm rereading the black swan right now. He actually gives an example like this where to be able to predict this if you have a uh, uh, a billiard ball bouncing around a table. In order to predict like the third balance off of the table or something like that, or no, no, I'm sorry. In order to predict the 56th bounce off of the table, you would have to know every location of every particle in the universe. Because at that level, the, the error that comes into play is so tiny. Um, 
And I think that would just be from like a completely classical standpoint, let alone quantum mechanics makes that impossible. Even if it were possible, it was completely classical. It would still be nearly impossible because no one has a computer that big because would, the, the computer would itself have to be inside of the universe. So it becomes interesting. Well, I guess you can just count the computer as part of it. So hit that part out. Still though, it would be very hard to do. Um, it's essentially impossible to do, but um, yeah, very good, very good. Um, I'm going through my list, show, and I think those are all my main topics for today. And I'm, I'm, those are all that I had on the list. Um, as I said, I, I'm, re, I'm rereading Black Swan. I, so of course I want to talk about, um, I, I bought a new copy of it. I, so I gave the first copy to my mom. And so I bought another copy and I'm um, enjoying it right yeah, now. Did, did, she, uh, did she end up reading it? I'm, I'm still getting, I'm still trying to get her to read it. I haven't had success there. Although I haven't, <laughs> I haven't asked in a, in a few weeks. So maybe, you know, it could be a Black Swan. Yeah. Maybe she read it. I don't know. Uh, maybe she's turned some pages. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, I, I, it'll be my, it'll be uh, we'll keep on pressing, we'll keep on pressing. Um, but uh, anyways, I'm enjoying it. I bought the second edition, which has some additional stuff in the end I haven't gotten to yet, but I'm looking forward to it. But um, but yeah, those are all of my all of my main topics for this week. I'm trying to think if I have anything else I wanted to talk about. Um, I'm excited for next week. Anybody listening to this now, you know, come back next week. We have our, our guest, a neuroscience researcher from uh, UCSF coming on the show, talking about their research and uh, it'll be good. It'll be a lot of fun. But um, Joe, I think that's all that I got. Anything you wanted to add before we close out? Um, I wish I could give an update on this game right now or the score, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> There's no scoreboard <laughs> or anything. I haven't been paying attention. I think... But, uh, <laughs> it, it, it seems like there's plenty of talent out there on the field though at least you haven't gotten hit that's really the main thing that's yeah no that's uh that's a victory in itself <laughs> i like that i like that very good well everybody we're going to close it out episode number 28 in the bags we had a lot of fun i know that we did but it's next week episode number 29 again talking to a researcher in neuroscience out of ucsf but until next time uh, i'm jimmy hackett signing off for joseph stanford saying ciao